The Start On Demand. demand. The federal election is over and Justin Trudeau's Liberals will form a minority government. But it's clear from looking across the country, Canada is divided. So we'll talk a lot today about Western alienation and we wonder if momentum is going to build for Alberta to separate. Winnipeg man got a $300 ticket for an unsecured load. He was taking branches and logs for his neighbor to the dump, but the Mounties pulled him over and gave him a ticket. Should they have given him that ticket? And the latest trailer, the final trailer for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, has debuted, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, October 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, I gotta tell you, Greg, I got my normal uh, size pen in my hand here, and I feel a little... (laughs) A little lacking after using the giant pencil at the election uh, polling station. Inadequate, yeah, so to speak. Loren McNabb, did you have a try? I tried to get this hashtag going last night, (laughs) BFP, but it just didn't go. BF, uh, you know what? I got it now. Um, Well, if I hadn't seen Brett tweet it out last night, I I still would have remarked over the pencil size. I think you did it first, Brett. You're like, wow, those are some really big pencils. Yeah. And as soon as I walked in around the corner, I was like, it was like um, it took up the whole little cardboard box area practically. I wondered what would happen if I had just taken one with me because I want to know where to get them now. Yeah, like it was kind of fun to use. I felt like a ki- like a little kid playing with the, you know, like some sort of a giant crayon. It was like it was carved out of an actual tree. And he <laughs> slid some graphite in there and there you go. <laughs> Maybe they were just being environmentally conscious. Maybe those are uh, twigs and branches from the uh, winter storm from from last week in Winnipeg. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, the the big <laughs> the big honking pencil was a topic of debate and conversation last night, but Canadians have elected a liberal minority government. I think a lot of us saw this coming and thought this is the way it would go. The Liberals led by Justin Trudeau will head back to Parliament for a second consecutive term as the governing party. My friends, you are sending our Liberal team back to work, back to Ottawa with a clear mandate. We will make life more affordable. We will continue to fight climate change. We will get guns off our streets and we will keep investing in Canadians. After the 2015 election, when Justin Trudeau looked unstoppable, when all the pundits and experts said it was the beginning of another Trudeau dynasty, that he would have eight or even 12 years in power. But tonight, Conservatives have put Justin Trudeau on notice. And Mr. Trudeau, when your government falls, Conservatives will be ready and we will win. We're gonna make sure that the energy that we built over this campaign, the excitement that we built, And the focus that we put on people, on people's struggles, continues and so that we can play a constructive and positive role in the new parliament the Canadians have chosen. And in a minority parliament, we know we can work hard and through dint of hard work and a sense of duty and deep ethics, we can make a really significant contribution in a minority parliament and we will. 
So clearly, neither the Liberals nor Conservatives hit the 170-seat threshold needed for a majority government as polls were counted last night. But the Liberals did win a plurality of seats in the House of Commons without winning the popular vote. In fact, with 33%, the Liberals are forming a government with the lowest percentage of the popular vote in Canadian history. The Conservatives under Joe Clark formed a minority with 34% of the vote in 1979. Now, you would have been forgiven for believing the Liberals had won a landslide victory based on how the speeches went down last night. Here's a genuinely stunned Global National Anchor, Donna Friesen. Well, we're all mystified here because Justin Trudeau has walked up on the stage and begun to speak at the same time as Andrew Scheer, leaving all of us wondering who we should listen to. And we've decided, simply because Justin Trudeau won 155 seats, so more than the Conservatives, we're going to listen to him. But really, this is uh, unprecedented, and, and I can tell you everyone in this studio is shocked. So, McNabb, I, I, I counted. I went back and listened because Andrew Scheer mm-hmm. was talking for 90 seconds Right. When they had to jump in and switch, they actually switched the feed to Trudeau, and then I think it went for about 30 seconds before Donna jumped in and said, all right, I guess it's Trudeau time. Well, it was a truly bizarre scenario because Singh actually was still talking as Andrew Shear made his way to the stage. But at that point, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, had already been talking for at least 15 minutes. So it's not out of the realm of, you know, thinking for the next guy in to be like, okay, well, I'm going to slowly, you know, make my way to the stage because it's, this has gone on long enough. And you have to remember it's one o'clock, 1 a.m. Eastern time. But then, you know, we're all sitting in the newsroom and Sheer starts talking and you can see Justin make his way to the stage, Justin Trudeau. And everyone was thinking he's going to slow walk, right? He's going to do one of those like classic 10 minute glad handing, kiss some babies on his way to the stage. Nope. He bounded right up there, looked around, jumped on the podium and started talking. And everyone, so many people across social media, analysts on television, on radio here on 680 CGOB were just saying, what's going on here? Like, this is not how this is done. And I'm all for stepping out from tradition. You know, it doesn't have to be convention. We don't always have to do things a certain way. But every leader does deserve to be heard. The ones who claimed some seats in some capacity. And so that was, I just, I thought that was so, I just didn't think that was the right way to do it, the right tone to set. It's certainly tone deaf when you consider the idea that he didn't win this sweeping majority. It was a minority government. He's not going in with a clear mandate from the people. And so to jump to the stage, like with kind of that swagger as though you're the man that deserves to be there talking and heard, I think didn't sit well for people and also had some saying, is this what we're going to expect from a minority government? Just everybody talking over one another and not listening? Aren't these aren't these supposed to be coalitions that work together in the end? Yeah, stepping off on the wrong foot, I think, was the common theme here. Now, I have tweeted out a link to Andrew Shear's entire speech. I think it's the least I could do. Um, that was just a startling and odd way to start out this section of Canadian political history. Just let me open it up. What did you What did you make of Justin Trudeau's message? We were all talking earlier about whether we'd hear a tone change about conciliation and working together and building bridges. Did you hear any of that? How did it start? The, fir- the first well, act of the Prime Minister, having received 33% of the vote, was to effectively mute the concession speech of the opposition leader. Who won the popular vote. Who won the popular vote. And just just the basic decorum of politics, and I know it was an ask the election, I know there was a lot of things said, but this is the first moment after the election, is the moment to show grace. We talked about it earlier, about some humility. I heard a little bit of it from Trudeau, but my general impression was he thinks he just won a second majority government, and he didn't. He, he was just admonished by Canadians. And I, I'm not sure I heard that or he even knows it. Yeah, so that was former NDP MP 
Nathan Cullen, who was on the on the panel on Global News last night, along with Donna Friesen and many others, uh, he said in polite language, Loren, what many of us were thinking mm-hmm. as that all went down in the aftermath of what many saw as a divisive, nasty campaign. I don't think this is how a minority government supposed no. to begin. And, and you know what? You like the leaders. You don't like the leaders. You hate them. You think whatever you want about them. But they do put so much work into this campaign. They're on the road the whole time. He, he, he deserved, I would say, a, give him 100 seconds, if not just 90. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We're going to press pause on the election because I'm sure many of you are just so happy that we're done with elections. We had the provincial election and now we've got the federal election and people are saying it's probably only going to last 18 months and then we'll have to do it again. So let's just not talk about the election for a few minutes because there's a story in our news run here about a Winnipeg man dealing with a $300 ticket for transporting a load of branches. And he says it deserves a warning rather than a fine. Bill Peters is his name. He says he was cited for having an unsecured load while moving branches and logs to Brady Landfill for his neighbor. The law in question says your load must be bound, covered, or secured in such a way that no portion may become dislodged or fall out. Peters says he did not bind or cover the load. Because the load uh, didn't require it. It was was lower than the level of the uh, half-ton truck uh, box. And it was stomped down and pushed in place in such a way that it, it actually, when we took it off at the dump, we had to uh, go behind the load and lift the whole load up and push it off. It wouldn't pull out one branch at a time. Now, he says that uh, the, the thing that was sticking out was there was a nine-foot log, and it's an eight-foot cab, so it was poking out over the top. But he was using that to weigh down the branches. So he says he's going to fight the ticket. So that got us chatting. Greg, you're nodding along here. Yeah, I, you know, I've taken stuff to the dump for a long time over the years and a variety of ways and projects involved. And I was always stressed about covering and strapping down the load yep. because you just, you got to do it. There's no gray area. No, especially yeah. when you're going down the perimeter highway at 100 kilometers per hour, you have to think about what happens in a worst case scenario. If you have to stomp on the brakes, if you're in a collision what happens to that load? What happens to what you're carrying? You have to think of other people. I'm trying to visualize how that all kind of got wedged into the back of this truck. And, and I think I understand what Bill is trying to say, but I don't know. The laws, I think that law makes sense to me. Well, in Kelly? celebration of Jeff Braun celebrating all over the newsroom about this new Star Wars sequel, <laughs> may the force be with Bill. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody lose stuff on the highway off oh, the truck? I had the, it was a scary, one of the scariest driving moments of my life. I'm on the interstate near Flint, Michigan, two years ago. And this guy in a truck is hauling a little, it's a little trailer behind his truck that's got, it's just one of these really, got like two foot walls on it. It's just a little dinky yeah. trailer. It's like a glorified. It's a utility trailer. Yeah. yeah. And he's got these two by fours that are cut into blocks, like little six inch blocks in there. And every time they hit a bump, two or three of them will go flying out. Come on. And we're all going 120 K on the Right into your windshield. Yeah, yeah. So I, I slammed on the brakes down to 70 and let that guy get way ahead of me. And I tried to change lanes to not get hit by these, these wooden blocks that just kept flying into traffic. It was so yeah. weird. And finally the guy just like turned off the highway and 
everyone relaxed again. <laughs> well, how many times have you been stressed when you're behind that driver who doesn't clear their their snow off their car and it's blowing at you and it's just snow, right? Like it, garbage bags, bags have flown off garbage trucks, you know, and they're blowing through the air and it kind of freaks you out for half a second. So I'm the I'm the type when I'm behind, like you know, when they're hauling the logs or cars. Brett, you mentioned cars. I I try to get right past them as quickly as I can. I just I'm I'm imagining all scenarios. All the time to which I'm going to have my, you know, be decapitated, basically. Well, and you, the, the situation that I encountered, this was about, I guess, eight years ago. I'm heading east on Highway 1. I think I just passed sort of St. Anne. And the, I could see there was this truck ahead, this pickup truck that was hauling a dune buggy kind of vehicle on a trailer. And it started to wobble. And I and so I just slowed down because I thought, is that thing going to go? And sure enough, it just started like sliding back and forth, and the dune buggy fell off the trailer into the ditch. Was it the force Ooh. of the wind that was? No, no. I think he just I don't know what Didn't happened. Have it strapped down good enough? No idea what happened, mm. uh, but I just I saw it coming and I slowed down, and yeah, sure enough, it it didn't end up going into the road. It ended up going off the road, but had it rolled the other way, then it could have caused a major catastrophe. So yeah, it's scary when you see that stuff. Yeah, and as Jeff pointed out. When you're going over a hundred, <laughs> yeah. that's frightening. I felt bad for uh, one guy. I was uh, taking a walk down Chief Pegwa's trails on the bike walk path, and I see this truck, and he's going backwards on the Chief Pegwa's trail, which is 80. And I'm going, "What are you doing?" I look down the road, <laughs> and there's his, there's a couch in the middle of the oh, road. No. And I felt, I felt bad because the couch was still wrapped in plastic, so it must have been brand new. Man, yeah, and one of our, and I'm not going to out. Our colleague, our former oh. colleague, but uh, one of our old colleagues was telling me, like, whenever he, he he's a great friend for moving. Like, if you ever need to move, I, I call this guy. I can verify that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he says that, uh, so whenever he does move stuff, he's always super vigilant, hyper vigilant about making sure everything is strapped down. And he says he is because one time he didn't strap everything yeah. down and everything fell out of his truck. Mm-hmm. I think it was on the perimeter and people were honking at him and cursing at him and he was by himself. So he... It took him like half an hour to clean up the mess. I know, and, it, and it was not Charles Adler. Okay, let's no. just put that out there. I know yeah. somebody who, on purpose, just put a loose Christmas tree on the roof of their minivan <laughs> to, oh, to no. take it to the chipper depot or whatever it is, and they just like, well, we'll drive slowly, and it won't matter. No, that like with that no Christmas ropes? tree. No, that Christmas tree just fell off onto nest somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen people. I've seen people during moves put the mattress on top of the car, and then they'll just drive yeah. down the street, each with, put their each hand with the hand up, up yeah. the window. Onto the mattress. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. Come on, the yeah. slightest gust of wind would rip your arm well, off. I did, I did. I did. I can't remember what I wrapped around it, but I had something wrapped around it. I needed to move this mattress, uh, but it was a stressful drive. Yeah, you need Willie Jefferson arms to make that work. And it was cold too. It was like minus twenty-five. I had to stick my hand out. Oh into my the, word! Anyway, that was uh, never again. Just very quickly here, Loren, you were on the desk last night on uh, 680 CJOB and Global Winnipeg's coverage as part of the national broadcast. What time did you get to bed? One thirty, I think. Oh my God. One forty-five. Oh, my God. I, sh- I thought about staying up, to be honest, but yeah, like it seemed, that y- seemed crazy. I woke up yesterday at one thirty in the morning. How <laughs> well, much, how I much, was just going to bed. How much coffee have you had? 
I've had two cups. I have to leave it at that or you guys are going to be going insane with me. I'll get all jittery and jumpy and just, you know, like start poking you with stuff. Okay, well, don't do that. But I'm sure a lot of people, Greg and Alberta, are wanting to poke things right now. No question about it. On the way in this morning, there were folks that were up all night. And one thing on their mind was the idea that Alberta has been completely alienated by this election. Throwing around the idea of Alberta leaving Canada. Sudiel is with the morning news at 770 CHQR, the morning news with Sue DL and Andrew Schultz. She joins us now. So, Sue, exactly one seat in Saskatchewan and Alberta did not go for the Conservatives. And all sorts of conversation, in particular overnight on the shift with Drex, this idea of Alberta separatism. Is this a, a genuine concern and a genuine conversation that we'll be having to ponder over the next several months or or years? Well, I definitely think it is going to be an ongoing conversation. Will it happen? I guess we wait and see. You know, Quebec's been talking about it for years and years and it's never happened, but Albertans and Saskatchewan, people are angry right now. They feel like their voice just hasn't been heard and they don't know what to do other than to scream separation might be the only answer at this point. And it's become almost a running joke, not that I subscribe to this mentality, but so many Canadians joke about Alberta being so angry. So what do you think about that perception that many Canadians have about your province? Well, I think it's too bad. I really do. I, I am 100% against any kind of separation, whether it be uh, us, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Quebec, any. I am part of Canada. I want this country to stay together and as a whole. But that's the problem, right? There's there's no sense of belonging out here in the West, particularly for Alberta. I can't really speak to Saskatchewan as much, but here in Alberta, people are upset and angry because we've lost the jobs. We've lost what looks like the will to, you know, be behind the energy sector, which is our lifeblood in this province and like it or not it feels like you know we've kind of been left behind as a province and you know I'm not a I'm not a huge Justin Trudeau fan but I will admit I voted liberal because I'm not an Andrew Scheer fan but I am a fan of pipelines and the environment and supporting this province and making it a part of this country and helping out where help is needed. Sue, in the past, the conversation has surrounded the idea of, of perhaps British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan separating from the rest of Canada. Once in a while, Manitoba does get thrown in there. But this idea that the energy sector would somehow benefit from Alberta separating from Canada, when you've got British Columbia, which is the genuine physical, literal, financial, legal obstacle to oil and gas getting to tidewater, how does Alberta separate? Separating from Canada achieve that goal, which which seems to be at the heart of all this. It's a great question. It almost seems implausible and impossible, doesn't it? But, you know, what needs to happen is, you know, Justin Trudeau, the Liberals, they have to come forward and they, they have to be supported by the other parties to make sure that we get that pipeline. It just has to happen for not just Alberta, but I think it's a, a Canada-wide thing that needs to be, it needs to be completed and it needs to be something that we support as a whole. It needs to be done with environmental concerns absolutely at the forefront indigenous concerns, but we have to get everybody on board and make this happen. Does the fact that the majority of Albertans voted for the Conservatives likely mean that the Liberals will be more inclined to ignore Alberta further? 
Well, I mean, he bought the pipeline, so he we own it now as Canadians. So you would think that it would be pushed through. It may take some work, but if, you know, Andrew Shear can get on board and help, it's going to be interesting to see those two work together. But, uh, you know, hopefully the team can come together as a whole in this country and look at the good of the people overall and make sure that this pipeline happens. I, I, I still believe that it will happen. I don't know. I hope that I'm right. Sue, uh, just one more thing. Help me understand uh, this idea. You live closer to British Columbia than we do. I used to live there. I'm tired of rolling pipelines through downtown Winnipeg, probably anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen times a day, giant oil tankers rolling essentially meters from Portage and Maine. How is it that in British Columbia, they don't understand or can't conceive of a day when some tragedy may find a, a train full of oil tankers in the Fraser River, but are uncomfortable with the notion, the notion of doubling the size of this, this pipeline. And that's what doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, you've got to look at all the different angles on it and see what makes most sense for each province and for this country as a whole and for the financial survival of Canada. We need that pipeline. And yes, to do it the most safe way possible, if we can all get on board and make that happen, the pipeline just seems to be, of course, the natural way that it would go. Sudiel, the morning news with Sudiel and Andrew Schultz at 770 CHQR in Calgary. Thank you very much for taking the time this morning, Sue. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. While the election coverage was on yesterday, I was also patiently waiting for the final trailer to debut for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. It was set to air on Monday Night Football. And eventually, we didn't know when it was going to air, and then they finally said it's coming up at halftime. And I thought, ah, I just want to go to bed. But I waited. Unfortunately, my cable, my Shaw cable was garbage yesterday. It Hmm. kept cutting in and out. I tried to watch your coverage, Loren. It was just eventually pointless. So when the trailer finally came on, the feed froze, so I had to just go on YouTube two minutes later and And? find it. Oh, I'm very excited. Here's a quick clip. Long have I waited. And now, you're coming together. Is your undoing. But here's what was really important about this trailer airing yesterday. Tickets are now on sale for the movie. And Dan Vadabonker, one of our colleagues, tweeted, hey, I think they're already on sale at Landmark at Grant Park. So I went to check and the 6 p.m. show for Thursday, December 19th was already sold out. What? (laughs) So I don't know when they launched. So then I went to Cineplex and they had a link for the Star Wars, but they only had one theater active. It was somewhere in Quebec. So I just kept hitting refresh, refresh, refresh. And then Winnipeg popped up, and I jumped in for the 725 show on the Thursday, and half the seats were already gone. Oh, but I that's was, crazy. I was able to get my tickets Thursday, December 19th, 725. Don't you think they could put that music to a shot of paint drying and people would watch that trailer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> But it was a pretty good trailer. So I've linked it to our 680 CJOB Instagram if you have yet to see it and want a quick link to that. And uh, I guess I'll have a review for you guys on Friday, December 20th. Put it in the schedule now. I will put it in our rainbow sheet, as we like to call it, our Google Doc.
It's time for Breakfast with the Bombers. It's brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. Will IG Field be a better place for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this Friday night as they host the Calgary Stampeders after their disappointing loss in Calgary on Friday night? Uh, Superstar running back Andrew Harris joins us now. And Andrew, immortalized as a bobblehead. If I would have told you that, 20 years ago, would you believe that? Uh, oh, well. It's going to be going on, and it's, uh, I mean, it's very exciting, very exciting. I know my, my daughter's just happy about it, excited to put it in, and lots of my friends and family are looking forward to uh, getting those bubble heads in their, bubble heads in their hands, so. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a cool little incentive to, to get to the game nice and early. You know what, Andrew? I'm, I'm sorry. We're just going to put you on hold for a second. Forte, is there, see if you can do something about it because we can barely hear Andrew. I think he's, it sounds like he may be in transit somewhere on a Bluetooth, so we can't uh, quite hear what he had to say. But yeah, Andrew Harris going to be a bobblehead on that. And what is the, how many of those are they given out? 15,000. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, you got to dig that, right? Yeah, that's right. The first 15,000 fans through the gates will receive a free Andrew Harris bobblehead. Okay, so Forte says we're good to go now. So we're just going to do take two. Andrew Harris joining us on CJOB. Andrew, uh, we couldn't really hear what you had to say, but you're a bobblehead. How does that make you feel? Uh, it's pretty pretty exciting. Uh, sorry, I'm just got my daughter to school here. Um, but yeah, she's, she's probably the one that's most excited. She's uh, like it's pretty cool, and you know, all my friends and family are uh, are, are excited to get uh, a bobblehead in their hands. And yeah, absolutely, definitely, definitely when I when I thought about uh, you know the, the the thought of having a you know a little figurine uh, with my face on it. So it's uh, it's a pretty cool accomplishment and pretty pretty cool thing to have. Does your daughter or your family get an advanced copy of them? Do they already have one on the shelves, or do they have to wait for the weekend like everyone else? Well, I actually got the the first the first mock up of uh, the first bubble head the first bubble head they made, and then uh, but I got a box in the back of my truck right now. So uh, yeah, they got uh, I got plenty to go around. So it's good. Hey, so Andrew, I have to ask you about Friday night. I always comment and, and notice how you jump on the bike after pretty much every single offensive series. I, I call it your fountain of youth. Talk about what Chris Strebler did on Friday night. I asked Doug Brown on our podcast yesterday what kind of credibility a guy builds when he, he toughs out an effort like that. Tell us what you think uh, about what 17 did on Friday night. Well, it's it's been amazing to to get to get getting to know uh, Strebler in the last couple couple weeks here, and you know playing alongside him, and um, I always knew that he was a warrior and, and a guy that uh, you know was going to fight. But you know seeing seeing the way you know the gutsy effort that he put in, you know playing and play out, um, you know there's a few times when you know we thought that he was going to go down or you know the, the defense would have him wrapped up, and you know he's breaking tackles, and um, it just inspires the whole team, inspires the bench. Uh, and and you want to go win with a guy like that. You want to go play for a guy like that. And you know it's uh, it's definitely inspiring to see. You know you know he's willing to do anything to, to help his team win. And um, you know he's he's an absolute warrior in, in that sense. So um, you know better tip a hat to him. And um, you know it was it was definitely a, a gutsy performance and, and one that I'll I'll never forget. Help us understand as fans, because there has been some criticism launched uh, towards uh, uh, maybe Coach O'Shea to a certain extent about not insisting that Strebler sit on the bench at different times when it was clear that he was ailing. Just give us the football player perspective of that. I know you just did that to a certain extent, but what do you say to fans that say, oh, it should have been taken out of the game? 
Well, I mean, I, I look at myself as, as an athlete and, you know, the type of player I am and, and on this team. And, you know, if I had a, a, a small injury that held me out for a few plays and if I felt like I was okay to go in, and I, I know hands down O'Shea would, would put me back in because, you know, you just trust those kind of players that, that play with that, that gutsiness and that, that attitude and that chip on their shoulder. And, um, I mean, you know, he, he was that kind of player and you would never want to be sat out. And unless it's something that's, you know, um, you know, extremely wrong and, you know, but, uh, you know, we have a great medical staff that uh, okayed him to get back in the game. And, um, you know, that that's, that's, that's just the kind of coaching staff we have that uh, they, they, you know, they appreciate the effort that the guys put in and, and it was very clear and evident that, uh, you know, he was going to do whatever it took to win. So, you know, you want to have a guy like that, you know, back in the lineup and, and you know, trying to make plays for you. Things are going uh, not as planned down the stretch here, Andrew. One last kick at the can in terms of the regular season, and then we get ready for playoffs. Has it been frustrating to, to see the change in the standings? I know you live by the one game at a time mantra, but it's it's no secret that you've gone from from first to third here in, in the last seven or eight weeks. Yeah, I mean it's it's been frustrating, and um, I mean obviously we had such a great start, but I think honestly, I mean uh, we faced some adversity and. You know we're still we're still building we're still you know coming together and and again we have another opportunity to you know hopefully put our best foot forward to to, to having a home playoff game and um, and then hopefully you know we can get a win win on Friday and then and BC can can get some work done for us and get us a home playoff game but uh, you know obviously we're not we can't control our own destiny in a certain extent but you know we still you know we still have um, you know a big game ahead of us and. And the most important thing is that, you know, I think for at first when I looked at our schedule, seeing that we had a bye week at the end of the season, I think this bye week, you know, going into the playoffs um, was going to be a good thing for us, you know, getting an opportunity to, to rest up and, and, you know, you know, really, really, really be, you know, the best, uh, best we can physically and mentally, you know, going into the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to that. It's about attitude. How do you take that attitude, Andrew, into the locker room and make sure everyone's buying in the same way or buying into what you're selling in terms of the idea that you have the time and you still have the opportunity? Well, I mean, for myself, I've been in the league for a number of years, and, you know, I look back to, you know, even, even 2011, we were 1-6 and turned around. And, uh, I mean, it, all, all it takes is an opportunity to get into the playoffs, and, you know, we, we're not we're not one of those teams that just all it takes to get in. We're, we're a group of both teams, and we have, we have the – the guys to get it done with the coaching staff I, and I wholeheartedly believe all that and I really think that you know it's all about that that right timing and uh you know making the right plays right time and, and being the best football or playing the best football at, at the right time so um again we, we have an opportunity to you know put our put our best foot forward on Friday and um and do it at home in front of our great fans and we're excited about that and and then you know be able to get that rest so it's it's about the experience about the knowledge and uh, and also understanding the talent you have around you. And uh, again, I, I I wholeheartedly believe that uh, we have the guys to to get it done. Andrew Harris joining us live on CGOB. While he's taking his daughter to school, Andrew, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great day. Andrew Harris, who will be a bobblehead. First 15,000 fans through the gates on Friday at IG Field will get an Andrew Harris bobblehead. Also a reminder, the final edition of Neighborhood Nights with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Boston Pizza is tonight. They will be at two locations between 5.30 and 7.30. BP Garden City at 2211 McPhillips and then BP Taylor at 1160 Taylor Avenue. I hope Andrew Harris has that box of bobblehead secured in whatever <laughs> cargo space he's carrying it in. Wouldn't want him to get a ticket. Just bobbleheads <laughs> flying out of the highway. Oh boy, I love it. Bobblehead pandemonium.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us today. Canada, Loren elected a minority liberal government last night. Yeah, we've elected a a minority government, and that's got all sorts of questions about what happens next. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us over the phone now. Late night for you, early start, David, I know, but already the questions. What, what, where do we go from here with this minority government? What's the next step? Well, we're going to get right on that first thing this morning, Lauren, in, uh, in, in Vancouver at 9 a.m. Pacific. Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, is going to speak. And it's a bit of a paradox about our system in that, you know, Singh last night uh, looked like he was having the best day of his life, even though he lost half his caucus or just about close to it, pretty much wiped out all but for one in Quebec, has just one MP in all four Atlantic Canada provinces, had a little bit of ray of sunshine in, uh, in Winnipeg, obviously, Win- Win- uh, Winnipeg Centre. Um, but there he is with 22 MPs, and he holds the balance of power, or he could. He's one of two parties that holds the balance of power. So uh, when he speaks this morning in Vancouver, uh, we're going to have some questions, obviously. Uh, what is your red line? What is your bottom line to support uh, the Trudeau government? And here's the thing, as I mentioned, it's one of two parties that Trudeau can look to uh, to sustain his government. The other is the Bloc Québécois. They're back, and uh, they have the, the second uh uh, after the Conservatives, they're the, the next biggest party. Uh, they could decide to support Trudeau when or if the NDP doesn't. Uh, so it's going to be very tricky negotiations. Trudeau, notably, he's in Montreal today, he's not speaking to reporters, or there's no scheduled press conference right now for uh, for Trudeau. And now, David, one of the things that I think we're most concerned about here in the West, and it was all over the overnight uh, talk show, the shift with Drex, and the idea of Western alienation and separatism and how Saskatchewan and Alberta between them elected exactly one MP that wasn't conservative. How big of a deal is this going to be? And was it really magnified with the approach Justin Trudeau took by starting a speech about 45 seconds after Andrew Scheer went on stage in in Regina? Yeah, the 43rd Parliament didn't get off to a winning start with Trudeau basically... uh, stomping over a speech coming from the middle of the West, because here was speaking from Regina. Um, think about this. Try to imagine this. I mean, just the conservative dominance of the West. You've got Winnipeg South, right? So just south of downtown is a liberal riding. And then you've got to go all the way through the rest of Manitoba, going west, all the way through Saskatchewan, which is all Tory Blue, Ralph Goodale losing in Regina, if you can believe that. You go through all the way through Alberta, where there's just one new Democrat, and then you get to BC, and you keep going through the Rockies all the way to the riding called Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam. That's just on the edge of Vancouver. So you're driving from Vancouver to Winnipeg, and there's nothing but blue. And that folks, is a national unity problem. Justin Trudeau wants to have a cabinet with at least one person from every province. In his last cabinet, that one person from Saskatchewan was Ralph Goodale. He managed to have the Natural Resources Minister from Alberta, Amarjeet Sohi. Sohi lost. Goodale lost. There's nothing. Jim Carr in Winnipeg South Centre, I suppose he's going to be the Western Minister because he's the closest thing to it. Maybe they go north, I'm not sure, but I think Carr's importance to Trudeau right now has just been elevated. He is going to have to be representing not just Winnipeg South Center and Manitoba, but he may also be called upon to represent Saskatchewan and represent Alberta. It's going to be a big job for him. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you as always, sir. Yeah, no problem, guys. Have a great morning. 
we've been getting a ton of feedback this morning on a story we've been sharing with you about this Winnipegger who was given a nearly $300 ticket. I think it was 298 bucks after he brought a load of downed branches to the Brady Road landfill, which many of you have been doing. The RCMP had ticketed him for essentially having an unsecured load. But that's raised questions about whether or not a warning might have been better, considering the thousands of trees that are being brought to the landfill on a daily basis. Although it's also had many of you writing about loads that have not only frightened you, but maybe damaged your car or hurt you. Listener texts like this one that we just got from someone writing in to say, here I was, Highway 44, two years ago, guy passed me, Xmas tree blew out of the back of truck, the tree bounced once, then went through my grill into the radiator like a spear. We know it can be dangerous, but we know there's the yin to the yang, guys. So let's bring on Sergeant Paul Maneg with the RCMP to explain this further. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Let's start with the idea that the ticket that's been issued uh, is being called by some a cash grab. The idea that the RCMP are kind of parking by the landfill to uh, ticket driver after driver for this issue. Well, for sure, that's the perception that might come out there. But uh, just imagine the amount of trees that have come down in the last week. Uh, Imagine the amount of vehicles going to the dump uh, on a daily basis. On this particular weekend, we only issued five tickets for an unsecured load. For the most part, that tells me either most people are cognizant of the fact of what they need to do with their loads. Uh, So very few charges were actually laid with the amount of vehicles going in there. So I'm batting around in my head, Paul, this idea of what's more unneighborly, the idea of inspecting these vehicles as they head into Brady Road or the idea of not securing your load properly. Uh, To me, the answer is obvious. Well, for sure. It's a simple procedure. It's like, well, what am I hauling today? If it's logs or trees that I've cut up into pieces, well, I need to strap them down. So they don't bounce out. We know these trailers, if you're going at 100 kilometers an hour down the perimeter, these trailers are bouncing around. Debris can come out quite easily. I can speak personally. I've got three claims with MPI in the last two years alone with debris that I've struck with my personal vehicles. Uh, It's frustrating. And I can understand why people are kind of supporting it too, because it's just our officers were there this weekend, kind of noticed uh, the concern and uh, acted accordingly. So... Sergeant Paul Monegre, if, you, if you've had three incidents personally, you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you must get dozens of calls for year, a year of just on the perimeter alone for crashes or possible collisions or accidents from things flying off trucks or the backs of cars. Oh, the amount of calls uh, the RCMP will get on the perimeter for all types of like say, speeding violations. Uh, this is no different. People like with these loads that are going to the dumps, uh, we get a lot of those types of calls. And like I say, the officers were in the position this weekend to kind of look into it. And, uh, you know, they had to act on with some of the stuff they've seen. Is there any discretion that the officers can show in these situations? Like where they, if they pull a vehicle over to check the load, if they, they deem that it, it's probably going to be okay? Or is oh, it just absolutely. sort of a blanket rule? Absolutely. We have discretion on anything under the Highway Traffic Act. Obviously, the more serious uh, the offense, you're going to take matters a bit more seriously. But the idea is to educate people. And if if an attempt was made to secure the law, maybe it's not quite done properly, they might be educated as to what they need to do further. Like I say, we only issued five tickets. Uh, there's probably, uh, what, how many thousands of vehicles going to the dump on a weekend? And just... Just so we understand, the fine, is that the maximum? What's, is, or is there a range of penalties for having a load that's not strapped properly? No, it's a set fine for uh, this type of category. So, yeah, a $298 fine. 
we hope that, like I say, it's high enough that it, the idea is to get the message across. So if I get one of these fines, I get pulled over and I get a ticket, what's the next step there? Because now I've been deemed to have an insecure load. What do I have to do in order to, to get moving again? Depending where you are. If, if you're right next to the landfill, they probably would have been allowed to proceed and remove their load. Or if the, the officers may demand that they secure it properly before they uh, drive away. All right, RCMP Sergeant Paul Manegra joining us live on 680 CJOB. Paul, thank you very much for this as always. Thank you. And you can continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. I just saw one text here involving a fridge. Mm-hmm. Where did that go? Uh, a friend lost her new fridge when it fell off the back of his truck somewhere on his way home from the store. They only discovered it when he got home. It was gone. He traced his route and no sign of it. They had to buy another fridge as they never did find the one that fell out of the truck. Hey, sometimes stuff does just fall off a truck. It's not just a saying, you know? <laughs> oh, isn't that for things, items that are hot? Yes. Just yes, to, Lorraine. You, again, you I've that. had three, sour, three hours of sleep. I didn't get your acronym for those large pencils mm-hmm. at the ballot box last night, and yeah. I didn't get the fall off the truck. All reference. right. Well, uh, hashtag BFP still isn't trending. <laughs> I'm doing my best, though, Loren. Yeah, I swear, if those pencils were any bigger, you could use them as a javelin. They were huge. You would need to, to tie it down if it was in the back of your pickup truck. <laughs> How would you put that behind your ear? It just wouldn't fit, you know, the old pencil behind the ear? Yeah, that's yeah. not happening. <laughs> Unless you have really big ears. You know? Oh, I do. I do. I could use it to tie up my hair. It'd be like twofold. Oh, like hey. Little, yeah. You could, you could even use the, the eraser as a, as a makeshift back scratcher. Because oh, it's long gosh. enough to reach. You had me at scratch. <laughs> Loren, like, she's always got a back scratcher <laughs> handy. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And we have another M. Greg, who is to your left? Oh, boy. Double M. Marty Morant's joining us. He was victorious in Charleswood, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley. We have decided, Marty, to rearrange all those letters uh, to make it an acronym for cash. So we're going to just uh, slide and we're going to exchange Assiniboia for St. James. And then we'll have Charleswood, Assiniboia, St. James, Headingley. Cash for short, but congratulations! This is a, a big day for you and a big day for all the volunteers that that uh, stood behind you. Tell us, how do you go about putting together a, a campaign team and and go out and ask for volunteers to to really work on your behalf to to get you elected? It, it's got to be very gratifying to not only to win but to have people say, "Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll dedicate some resources on your behalf." Well, you know, I've been incredibly lucky, uh, Greg, since I started on this political journey back in uh, 2010 to have a wonderful uh, group of people, a great campaign manager and my friend Michael Cowlson, who's uh, helped me along the way through all of my campaigns, the uh, provincial campaign in 2011 and then the municipal campaign in 2014. And, uh, of course, our latest uh, uh, victory. And then so many of the volunteers that helped me in those campaigns over the years came back. And so it was easy to hit the ground running. 
Marty, there were some victories for the conservatives last night in your party, uh, and it came off the heels of a really divisive and dirty campaign. I know you have your spent your time at City Hall, but I don't think City Hall ever got like this in terms of the words that were thrown back and forth and the things that were said. I'm not sure if you just heard Charles Adler in the last segment, but he talked about the idea that despite some of the wins in Winnipeg last night, you took back St. James' Assiniboia, despite... Uh, Charles, would, despite that, uh, that there are concerns out there that your party's just not connecting with that urban base, you know, particularly on issues of your leaders' personal views on same-sex issues, um, just to name a, just to name one. How do you reconcile that and move forward so that you can have that connect? Because it does really feel like in, in Manitoba, and obviously as we move west, there's that whole divide out there. Uh, well, you know, with the greatest respect, Lauren, I don't know if I agree with the premise of your question. Um, if I look at the, for example, the popular vote in Canada, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer, received a more popular vote than any other uh, party in Canada. We significantly increased our seat count, and I think our platform resonated with uh, literally 6 million Canadians last night uh, who want to see a different way of doing government. And uh, I also think last night's election was a repudiation of the Trudeau government. Uh, they went from a, a four years of majority rule to a minority government, and um, that's that's not a good result for them. So uh, they may, may be happy that they're still in government, but uh, as the new reinvigorated official opposition, I can assure you we will be there to hold them to account. I know you could argue that you, you have the, the support of two of the six largest cities in, in Canada, but I think Charles's point was just to play off it a little bit more was the fact that in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Montreal, it's a real battle for for the Conservative Party of Canada to make En-ROADS uh, uh, 10 to 15 percent of the the overall popular vote in a, a lot of those cities in Canada. That that That's where we call it vote-rich Southern Ontario for a reason. So that's going to be a challenge in terms of, of maybe regaining or, or creating a majority government for, for the Conservative Party? Well, I think we have to keep working and keep sending our message. Our message in this campaign was a very simple message uh, uh, captured by our slogan, which is it's time for you to get ahead. And it's really a recognition that for millions of Canadians, there's an affordability gap, that at the end of the month, they don't have the uh, same amount of discretionary income they used to to help uh, basically run their lives. And uh, our policies and platform was designed to help people with that problem, leaving more money on the kitchen table and less money on the cabinet table. And I think we have to keep keep sending that message. But uh, again, I, I, I think um, uh, there are a lot of positive things to take out of last night for our party. A lot of new uh, uh, eager members of parliament, including myself, ready to get there and hold this government to account. Uh, a liberal government that I, 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 I think has been seriously wounded by being pushed back to a minority status. And again, the uh, greatest share of the popular vote across the country tells me that more Canadians uh, felt that our platform was something that they could get behind than any other parties. What do you think of the cynicism that's out there? The, the, I think the main point I've been hearing since last night is, oh, this is only going to last 18 months or two months, and then we're going to have to do it again. Well, you know what? Uh, minority governments do tend to have a shorter shelf life. Uh, it's hard to predict how long this one might last. Uh, I, I think uh, Mr. Harper's first minority government was about two years, and the second one was about two and a half years, as I recall, uh, before he won his majority. And, uh, you know, you can get uh, work done in minority parliaments, and uh, and uh, sometimes that's a good thing. It forces all the parties to work together in the best interests of all Canadians. 
I can hear you on the popular vote, Marty, and I appreciate where you're coming from. But there is that sense. If you look at just sort of how the votes play out, conservatives are on the right. Every other party is middle or left of center. And so technically, the left of center got 60 percent or more of the popular vote last night. Is there any, you know, to the the point of shifting your party's uh, attitudes on some issues or platforms? Is there time to become a little bit more progressive progressive to the left and help accommodate some of those people who live in those cities who say, "I, I cannot relate to this party? Uh, we, you know what, um, I, we can always do a better job of communicating our, our message. Um, I think our platform was actually quite progressive uh, in many ways. Um, and again, it comes down to the fact that there's an affordability gap in this country. Uh, and no other party was really speaking to that. And so really the point of our platform was to communicate to Canadians that we're there for them. Uh, we wanted to uh, help them not just get by, but uh, actually uh, get ahead. And uh, I think we made great uh, progress last night. Uh, I think our seat count went up by uh, over 20 seats. And again, um, I don't think you can ignore the popular vote. I think that uh, is a very important indicator of where the public sentiment is in Canada today. You've been a city city councillor, Marty. And so what are your priorities for Winnipeg and and how are you going to get those uh, accomplished? You know, I think the things that are important to Winnipeg to Winnipeggers are the things that are important to all Canadians. Uh, you know, we need to be working on um, uh, creating more jobs and opportunity for our young people, uh, making sure uh, people get the value of a good education. And, um, you know, for one, I, I will be um, in Parliament uh, advocating every day to hold this government to account, to uh, uh, insist that it balance its budgets because, as you know, Mr. Trudeau promised to balance his budget by 2019 and uh, completely ignored that promise. And in fact, in this latest campaign, there is absolutely no plan uh, of his government to bring the budget into balance. And, and that affects every single Canadian, including Winnipeggers. At the end of the day, the interest that we pay on our national debt uh, erodes the ability of the federal government to support the important programs that all Canadians need. Marty Morantz, MP-elect, Charleswood, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley, or as we've been calling it, Charleswood, Assiniboia, St. James, Headingley, to make it cash. Marty, thank you for the visit. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Question of the day at cjob.com. You know, let's just see how people are reacting here. It's brought to you, by the way, to, by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Are you happy with the outcome of the federal election? So far, 69% say no. 17% to make that 18% say yes. Sorry, they say, I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes. And 12% say uh, yes. Now, on Twitter... Different. 53% say no, 29% say yes, and 18% say I'm not sure. We'll see. So you can cast a vote at cjob.com or on Twitter. And after listening to Marty Morantz, Loren, because he sort of, uh, he, he, didn't, he disagreed with you, mm-hmm. you were asking a question based on what Charles was saying. And do you think maybe, like, do, what, do you, what was your reaction to what he had to say? Well, I think it depends on where you're sitting. I certainly understand that there's a, a still a large percentage of the population that connects with conservatives. And part of that last night might have been that disconnect they were feeling with the other parties or just this desire to oust Trudeau. So I understand that the conservatives got the larger percentage of the popular vote by about 1% over the liberals. But when you when you combine the left, the middle center or left, there's still a, a vast more 
Canadians choosing to go that route. And so I think Charles' point and what we were asking Marty was the idea of, okay, well, hang on. Yeah, you got the popular vote, but that, but, but everything left of you is more like 60%. And so is there room for change within that Conservative Party to appeal perhaps to that more urban, urban base so that they can form government again in this country. And so I don't know if I agree with them. I know I know we've had listeners writing in from all sides, you know, saying that they really were happy with Sheer and they voted for him. And we've also had listeners, we had one early this morning saying that he's a gay man and he felt really sad that such a large group of Canadians would vote for a leader who's not come out supporting him in the way he would like and the idea that personally Shearer has his views about same-sex marriage. And so I appreciate that. That's one of those issues that can create that sort of a divide when it comes to a city potentially versus rural environment. Well, and the, lots of uh, conversation about the city versus rural and the West versus East. But is, is that an Andrew Shear issue or is that a Conservative Party of Canada issue overall, Loren? Because I think Charles is suggesting that the CPC look themselves in the mirror and look no further than their leader in terms of whether or not they're going to be able to make this next step and to form a majority government. I don't know about that, and I don't know if they're going to do that in the midst of being a part of this minority government. Well, and now here's the real kicker for them is that so technically, if you're looking at it like a, you know, Olympic Games, they're, they're the silver medalists from last night, right? So technically they're in second place, but what role will they play going forward? We've been talking throughout the morning about what a minority government means. So they're the official opposition. They get to express more of their concerns. They get to have their critics. They get to go after the government, but it's, the, it's the NDP and potentially the Green Party or even the Bloc that the Liberals will be playing with and forming coalitions with or working together with more on certain issues. And so now you really just have Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives in a position that you're you're the second best, so to speak, and you might get less of a say than potentially the party that finished fourth, which is the NDP. And so I don't know where the popular vote or the power gets you in this circumstance. Well, and But do the Liberals not have to be having the same discussion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is this is going to be a hard one for them, too. Where are they going to come up? You know, part of me last night, and this is where your mind goes, I think, after you work like 15 hour days. So, you know, we had this talk this morning about how Jagmeet Singh went, took the stage and then Andrew Scheer uh, took the stage afterwards and sort of cut off his speech and so on and so forth. But but Jagmeet Singh spoke for at least 15 minutes and there was no rush to get him off the stage. And part of me was thinking, I was like, I wonder if they're just letting him talk because he kind of he kind of holds some of the cards right now, you know, like, is it just like, let's see where uh, they go and we'll see where we align ourselves. And he was really quick to come out and talk about the issues that are important to them. And so when we talk even about the pipeline, where's the NDP going to come in on with that if the Liberals try to move that forward? Uh, Climate change is another one. And so the Liberals have to also push some of their own agenda aside and say, who is going to be our best dance party per night, per day in any given situation? Can I offer a thought on Sheer? Mm-hmm. I, I think he's a dud. He's a mm-hmm. snooze fest. Uh, so regardless of what he has, to, what his views are, I just think he's a dud, and I don't think the conservatives can win with him at the helm. But the the, the bigger problem for the conservatives too, and it's a problem that uh, it, I think it's perception. It because you can if you say to some people hey, I, I lean towards the Conservatives, mm-hmm. they might just jump down your throat and immediately brand you as some sort of evil person, right? There's this perception that the Conservatives are the old fuddy-duddy party and that they don't support minorities and they, they look down on anybody who's different. Regardless of 
what the message is or what they're saying, that's what people will think about the conservatives. And that's going to take a long time for them to change that and to gain that traction and to gain that ground in urban centers or with younger voters. And it's I certainly don't think they can do that with Andrew Scheer. Um, and then when you just look at the divide in this country, like the picture that David Aiken painted of saying you, you have to drive from Vancouver to Winnipeg mm-hmm. to see anything but blue. So clearly there is support, but it's not in those mm-hmm. major centers. Yeah. Can I mention one positive point from last night? I don't actually, you guys tell me if you see this as a positive. 68% of people voted in 2015, 65% turnout last night. Oh, we is actually that, have some turnout numbers. Okay, is, 65. Is that good? Are mm. you guys happy with that? No, it's still I thought it would weak. be lower. Didn't you think it would be lower than that, given the, the whole like cynicism and the hatred? And, and I'm bringing this up now because you just mentioned the division, uh, Brett, and the idea that it's kind of the sea of blue all west of Winnipeg, save one lone spot, I think, in Edmonton, and then you got to go through the Rockies again. I mean, it... it, it it, I, I wondered if we'd have like a 50% turnout given all that. I just think enough people were motivated to go out and vote because regardless of the fact that we didn't unfortunately get around to talking about a lot of the biggest issues, there were enough issues on people's uh, minds uh, that they wanted to have a say. And I thought we might get closer to that 68 or that 78, 70% number. So uh, 65 disappoints me a little bit, I have to say. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.